And welcome back to Regionally Speaking. I'm your host, Dee Dodson. The 2024 Indiana General Assembly will convene January the 8th in Indianapolis at the State House. The non-budget legislative session will be a short, less controversial one than in years past. Indiana policymakers plan to prioritize education as well as work to improve laws already on the books for the betterment of all Hoosiers. Lakeshore Public Media will be speaking with several Northwest Indiana elected officials to get a preview of the upcoming session. Joining us now is State Senator Dan Durnell, who represents Senate District 1. Senator Durnell, thank you so much for joining us on Regionally Speaking. Sure. Hi, how are you? So, Senator Durnell, the 2024 non-budget legislative session, as I've shared in my opening, will be a short one. So, I recently spoke with Indiana Lieutenant Governor Suzanne Crouch, and she shared that education rises to the top of priorities in both chambers. Now, you are a standing committee member of the Education and Career Development Committee. What do you believe are some of the issues that the committee will address this upcoming session? Well, I, I think they're going to be addressing, you know, just curriculum uh, as, they, as, they, as they've done in the past. You know, there, there's, there's a couple of issues that are happening right now. We'll call them a phenomenon, you know, where, you know, for example, in, in the school city of Hammond, uh, they did not, they were not able to uh, pass their, their referendum that, that was looked like it was needed. It was a referendum that was passed several years ago, and now the, you know there, there's going to be a loss in in this revenue of several million dollars. And because of that, you're starting to see cuts coming, including uh, you know school bus services. Those are things that I think will, will need to be talked about. But yeah, and I, I know I pivoted from curriculum to this, and those are two different things. But uh, we will have that that discussion uh, for sure. I personally, and, and since it is, it's not a budget session, I still feel that there is need, you know, for our, our teachers, specifically in Lake County, uh, that are, that there's, there's a need for a pay, I guess, uh, you know, minimum. And, and, and I, cause it, it, it's, it's all over the board in, in Lake County. And just say the pay minimum is, is, is $50,000. We keep losing teachers. They, they, they go to other districts within the state, or a lot of times they, they, they go to other districts outside the state. Illinois is a perfect example. We're just a few miles away from Illinois. And some of the teachers that are, have been trained here in Indiana go to Illinois. They're making quite a bit more right. benefits are better and, and so on. So those are things that I'm hoping that we, we, we bring up. We also want to make sure that, you know, parents, you know, I know that we, we've talked about it, parents, you know, there, there, there is a lead when it comes to children and they, they need to be part of that conversation you know, when, when, when schools are Now, Senator Durnell, there was a recent survey of constituents across the state, and when it drilled down to education as a focal point, it concluded a need for more work-based learning or apprenticeships. So have you heard that concern voiced by constituents in Indiana Senate District 1? So when you say apprenticeships, are you talking more of the trade? More, yes, sir, the trades. Okay, so so me me being a former car mechanic, you know, I, I used to work on cars. I, I have heard that, and I heard that, you know, there are some people including myself at one time, that w- was not set, set up to go to uh, college. You know, trades were a better way for them to, to make, make a living, and, and I, was, uh, I was one of them. Uh, yes, that, that, that has been discussed, and um, I, I hope that we have that conversation because I think the trades and apprenticeships, where they could lead into, you know, a job maybe with, within a union, a good company, will, will be the, their pathway to success and, and, and a career. You know, look, there, there is, you know, I, I brought up that being an auto mechanic, but, you know, there, there's, you know, pipe fitting, there, there's carpenters, there, you know, just so many other trades that are out there, being a machinist. These are great trades. And, and as, as I was uh, working with my hands, that, that, that was something that I really wanted to do. And at the time, that's what I wanted. Now, I did pivot and I did go back to college and I did receive an engineering technology degree from Purdue. But, I mean, during that time, it was, it was really, a, it was great. And I was not offered those choices. Mm-hmm. So this, that would be great. And I think, I think you, you see a lot of young men and women possibly migrating there. We, we do need people in the trade. They are lacking. It's very concerning. And, and, and quite frankly, they can make a very good living being, being in the trade. 
Absolutely. And oftentimes you hear of people who work in the trades who make almost twice as much as what those who have gone on to acquire multiple degrees and are white collar workers. And so, yeah, I do believe that there is a great need for trades and I do believe that there's a great need well, to support. I, I was talking because my, my son is in, in that spot now. He's, he's out of high school, but I was talking to my, my son. Hey, you know what? You know, you, I mean, he, he, he he's doing OK, but he could always do better. A friend of mine owns a a machine shop, and some of his machinists are making one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year. Wow, uh, that that's a lot of money, and that's more than I make. <laughs> so, um, you know, I mean, I, I I look at that as as something that you know would be something good, especially for people just starting out and 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 learning the trade. And you know, I mean, as time goes on, they could stay within the trade. A lot of people they have thirty years, forty years, or sometimes they they. They have some other education or they have some other, you know, career ideas uh, that they might want to do. But I, I think I think trades are extremely important in, in our school. And, and, and if they start in, in, in high school, that, that would give people more of a, an idea of that if, they, if that's what they want to do, which I would hope they would. Senator Donnell, I want to go back for a moment to the conversation that I referenced with you that I had with Lieutenant Governor Suzanne Crouch earlier this month. And we were speaking about the upcoming session, and she raised another concern in regards to education, as well as the literacy rate of students in Indiana. And she noted that our third graders are not reading at a proficiency level. And on top of that, she shared some concerns that she's heard from constituents about social promotion. So I'm not sure if this is an issue that will be raised with the Education and Career Development Committee, but do you know if there are plans to address this? Um, you know, so I, I, I don't know of any bills right now, but there, there could be. Okay. So, you know, when, when it comes to literacy, especially for third graders, you know, that one of the questions I have on my, my survey is if a third grader is not up to being able, in third grade, not up to being able to read at the third grade level, and I don't know specifically, it might be might be fourth grade or whatever, but we do have that question in my survey, should they be held back? Now, back in my day, <laughs> right. which is a long time ago, if I didn't make it uh, up to a point, I was not automatically moved into the next grade. I had to make it through. Now, thank goodness I was able to uh, keep moving through You know, the 12 years I was in high school, or not high school, in school, grade school and high school. But, uh, you know, those are, those are things that are very concerning of mine. They, you, you should not be promoted to the next grade unless you, you're able to read and write at that level, you know, whatever level you're at. It's just, for me, you know, that's a big concern. And you're starting to see a lot of, a lot of the young, young children and young adults having that issue. And, and we have to try to nip it. And, and, I, and I agree with the, the lieutenant governor. This is something that we're, we're going to have to address. I believe that there will probably be something that is in the education committee in front of us uh, to, to, uh, to address this. Because it needs to be done. Senator Durnell, so shifting our conversation from education, I know that 2024 is, again, a non-budget year, but are there any fiscal concerns being raised by either chambers or even constituents for that matter? Well, I mean, a lot, you know, and this is through, you know, people that I talk with, you know, again, as I mentioned earlier in this conversation, you know, our, 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 our teachers are not being paid where I think they should be. And that that's just my opinion, and, and and we need to address that. Along with that, you know, public safety officers, you know, firefighters, you know, uh, people that that are paramedics and so on. You know, should they should they not just get paid better, but maybe their their pensions could be better somehow. We have to. Those are things that have been talked about. But one other thing that has been brought up, and I don't know if we're going to have a remedy for that this year because it is not a budget budget session. But uh, there's been a lot of talk about textbook fees and ultimately we we have a um, a you know, line item for textbook fees for all schools so the parents do not pay for it and the, the school districts don't well as it turns out it seems like that there is an issue as it relates to some of the textbook fees not not being paid in, in, in whole in full so that needs to be addressed here's my my thoughts on that if, if they're if, if they're if they're not if the school district cannot be being uh, being made whole. If we can't do it this year, we have to do it next year, and we have to make sure that we we reimburse or somehow get them to make them whole from even you know twenty twenty three into twenty twenty four, and then going forward. So those are things that people have talked about. Again, I don't know if we're going to be able to do this. 
I'm still fairly new at this. At this. I, from talking to some of my colleagues, I don't know if we're going to be able to, you know, we'll, we'll be able to talk about it, but we'll be, we'll be able to address it without opening up the budget. I don't, I don't think so. But my, my goal is to make sure that all school districts are made whole after, after and when the budget session starts, uh, not next year. Um, Senator Donnell, so we know that 2024 is a big election year with many offices up for grabs locally across the state, including for governor, lieutenant governor and attorney general, as well as all the way up to the White House. So my question to you is, do you think the focus at the state house will shift to primaries and holding on to the majority rather than pushing through legislation? And the reason I'm asking you this is because... Some would offer that with elections come policy promises versus political action. Well, I, I as, as a candidate six times, I believe it's been that people are going to, and, and a, a person that has won and lost uh, elections too. I mean, so I, I've been on both sides. Winning, by the way, is a lot, a lot more fun uh, than than losing. But also, um, you know, you have to understand the people that are are, are your constituents are going to be voting where they feel they you know the the district in my case would would be all the way up to the presidency where the the, the um, you know what policies they want sometimes personalities do play in sometimes they don't so my my hope is is for our constituents and and this has been my hope all the time they look at you know look at facts look at where where people stand and, and they make those decisions will it play a role absolutely um when it comes to um, you know Hopefully, people will be looking and, and not go in and just vote a certain way because that's how they they've done it every year. My feel is people are starting to get a lot more engaged on both sides to make you know to to know who who who's going to be uh, representing them. Senator Darnell, we have about a minute or so left, and so as I wrap up my conversation for today, ahead of the 2024 session, I can't let you go without getting your thoughts on the possible end of the U.S. Steel as an American-owned, independent, and publicly traded company. You serve as a Pensions and Labor Committee member, and should the acquisition get the required approval from its shareholders, are there concerns about CBAs that are currently in place with the United Steel workers? I think the best way for me to answer this is probably more of where my, my thoughts are on it in, in general. From what I've read, again, I have no more information than you do at this time. I, I would assume I, I, will, might, I might be getting more if, if the Senate uh, convenes and even before. But a couple of things. This is on a personal level. You know, U.S. Steel has been a staple in, in the industry and, and helped build this, this country. And you know, seeing that a you know uh, a, a company coming in uh, is you know is looking into you know possibly you know uh, going to be able to, to have this approved, we have to be extremely careful. I, I've gone I've gone through several mergers and acquisitions uh, with AT and T. I've I've worked for AT and T for almost thirty years, and, and you know we we started out with Ameritech, then with SBC, then AT and T, and in between all that, we we had it. You know, there, there is a lot of scrutiny that is done on this, and I would assume the same is going to happen. The CBA needs to be in place. Well, I found a little disappointing from, again, everything this is based on what I've read. It sounds like the unions were not part of the conversation. If they weren't, that that's unfortunate because they, they need to be. But uh, I think we need to let this play out a little bit. You know, again, I want U.S. Steel to be U.S. Steel, but I'm I'm old fashioned when it when it comes to this. But yeah. we're going to see what happens, and and it's going to be scrutinized here in the state. I would assume uh, it's ex- it's extremely important that we 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 make sure that our our industries are 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 protected, our our workers are really protected, and you know, I mean, the the the, the country is also protected. And Senator Darnell, I think that's a great note to end our conversation, at least for today. Dan Darnell is the Indiana State Senator representing District 1. Senator Darnell, again, I thank you for joining us on Regionally Speaking. I know that you are actually down at the State House right now doing some preparation work ahead of the 2024 legislative session. So again, I thank you for carving out time out of your very busy schedule, spending time with us today on Lakeshore Public Media. We hope that you have a happy new year and we look forward to chatting with you midway through the 2024 legislative session. 
Dean, thank you so much. I, I always enjoy talking with you. Um, I look forward to our next conversation, and please keep in touch even throughout the session. I'll try to find time for you. You're listening to Regionally Speaking on listener-supported Lakeshore Public Media. The 2024 Indiana General Assembly will convene January the 8th in Indianapolis at the State House. The non-budget legislative session will be a short, less controversial one than in years past. Indiana policymakers plan to prioritize education as well as work to improve laws already on the books for the betterment of all Hoosiers. Lakeshore Public Media will be speaking with several Northwest Indiana policymakers to get a preview of the upcoming session. Joining us now is Indiana Representative Carolyn B. Jackson, who represents House District 1. Representative Jackson, thank you so much for joining us on Regionally Speaking. Oh, I am so happy to be able to join you, and thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So, Representative Jackson, you're here with us today to give a sneak peek at the upcoming 2024 legislative session. But before I start that conversation, I want to talk about some legislation that affects us right here in the region. Now, the passage of House and Road Act 1454 last session allowed the Miraville Town Council to enact a food and beverage tax of up to 1% on dining and take-home food and drinks sold at Miraville restaurants, etc. Now, Hammond and Munster are looking into pursuing similar food and beverage taxes, with Mayor McDermott saying that state legislators approached him last year about being added to that legislation, but he felt that it was too late in the session to actually be a part of it. Now, again, you represent Hammond, so I would like to know your thoughts on how you see this legislation benefiting your constituents directly. Absolutely. I think that this would be a good um, piece of legislation. In fact, last year when it was brought to me, I thought it was great then because the additional percentage, um, it doesn't amount to much at all, just pennies really, on, just a, really actually is a penny or less on a dollar, but it does add up. And what would happen is that that's, those funds would come back to the city and that would allow the city to do some improvements, some upgrades, and different things like that. Those things that are much needed and would be beneficial to those individuals who live in the city, as well as it would help to increase uh, property values. So um, I have been to other cities in the area. I shouldn't say in necessarily the area, but in the state, who have benefited from that uh, um, up to 1% um, uh, on the food and beverage tax. And I have seen how they have utilized it and how it has really, really um, given a great shot in the arm, so to speak, for their communities. And I would like to see that same thing happen here in in Hammond. And um, as a matter of fact, I have... uh, prepared legislation to um, present next session to get that um, um, bill passed. So hopefully we will be able to benefit from some of that as well. I think um, that now might be a good time in order to do so, especially with all the new development and everything that's going on within our city. Now, Representative Jackson, the 2024 non-budget legislative session will be a short one, right? And I recently spoke to Indiana Lieutenant Governor Suzanne Crouch, and she shared that education rises to the top of priorities for both chambers. You are a standing committee member of Family, Children, and Human Affairs Committee. What do you believe some of the key issues the committee in which you serve will address this upcoming session? You know, I think that a lot of the things that they're going to address this year in my committee are are going to be issues with regards to uh, providing care for children, uh, providing um, a good, safe home for those individuals who are um, considered our minors, as well as uh, I think that they're going to have some legislation that will probably touch on uh, some of these issues with literacy. You know, um, when it comes to the younger children up to third grade, those children, if they don't get a great foundation 
educationally. They struggle the rest of the their the time that they're in school because without that good foundation, reading, writing, math, things like that, they aren't able to stay on top of their homework and they will constantly be struggling all the way through school. So they're going to have, I know, plenty of legislation with regards to that. And um, I would really like to see us have something in place that will strengthen those uh, the learning for those children in that age group. And um, I know last year we passed one, a bill, I, I want to call it the Dolly Parton bill. I don't remember <laughs> the name of it. But basically what that bill did was it allowed um, children, I think, from zero up to age zero, up to five years old, to get a book every year. Well, I think that's great. You know, When I say a book, I mean a free book. And what I would like to do is I would like to see that be extended up to children in third grade. Because if we can all get children, not only in our area, Northwest Indiana, but all over the state, in the habit of reading and building their reading and comprehension skills, I think that that would help them throughout their the time that they're in school. And I think that that would help interest them and uh, keep their curiosity up and, and then want to read. So I don't know if anybody's introducing any legislation pertaining to that, but I will definitely have an amendment uh, ready to file right. the, uh, requesting that no, it's, that it's, be done. It's interesting that you bring that point up because that was another concern that Lieutenant Governor Suzanne Crouch brought up. She shared in regards to the literacy rate of our students in Indiana. She noted that third graders are not reading at the proficiency level. And then she also added to that the concern about social promotion. So I think it's quite interesting that you bring up the notion to begin to introduce books to children earlier than the third grade. So that that would yes. counteract her concern about children not being able to read proficient at the third grade level. Absolutely, yes, exactly. So those are that. I mean, that is something that I thought of, but I don't have. <laughs> this is a short session, as I said, right. and it is projected that we're going to um, end this session a week early. So it's going to move very fast. So we can only introduce five bills this session. And even though that is something that is very important, I do know that others have filed bills or will be filing bills pertaining to that. So I think that I will just hold that in reserve for a possible amendment. And hopefully I'll be able to get that through because I think if we uh, work, start working now to keep them engaged in reading um, things that are interesting to them, they will be readers, not just up until third grade, but throughout their life. Forgive me from kind of bouncing around a bit no regarding problem. the upcoming session and the 2023 session. So I'm thinking now about as we go back, as you said, you know, you're not sure if legislation will be entered into, but you'll be prepared with an amendment. I want to go back to the 2023 session, if that's OK with you. And I want to look at okay. uh, some of the bills that you authored. And one of the bills you authored was which is actually now Public Law 125, House Bill 1138 regarding preschool and child care facility drinking water. First, tell us about the bill. But more importantly, and I know we've spoken about this before, tell us about why this bill was so important for you. Well, it was really important because um, when it comes to our drinking water, if the water has lead in it and it is uh, consumed by children, what it does is it causes irreversible damage. And that damage can cause learning disabilities. It can cause behavioral issues as well as medical issues, so many different things that it can cause that are irreversible. And um, up here in our region, as you know, we have a lot of industry, mm -hmm. and we have had a lot of industry in the, for, over hundreds of, for over the past hundreds of years. And in some instances, it's in the, it has gotten in the water in the schools, it is in the soil, and it's, it as well as it has gotten in the air. 
So that is a big concern of mine. That is why I introduced those bills to ensure that children going to school would have safe drinking water. And with that uh, being said, you know, I noticed that the funds that have come to the, through, the, through the state for the remediation as well as the testing of the drinking water has come from the federal government, from EPA, which means that every year the Indiana Finance Authority has to file for a grant in order to get the funds so that they can help to pay for the remediation as well as the testing. Well, that kind of disturbed me because this is an Indiana issue as well. What happens if the federal government does not fund that program every year? Then mm-hmm. all of the schools aren't going to be able to get tested. They, the remediation is going to be stressful getting that done. So um, last session when I introduced 1138, I found out that there are other medical and health care agencies that have offered to give us, give the state money in order to grant, in order to pay for some of the remediation. However, due to the fact that we did not have funds, I mean, a way to accept the money in order to do it. So in order to, to, to do the remediation. So what I did is I prepared a bill for this session. And what that will do is set up a fund. And in setting up that fund, that will allow these uh, hospitals and different medical uh, facilities, insurances, and things like that, who offered to give us, a, a, when I say us, I mean the state, a generous donation to help cover that cost, a way in order to give that donation. So um, this bill that I have will uh, this year will set up the funds, and also it would also um, give the state a option to chip in money as well because Mm -hmm. with all of the schools and all these nursery schools having to test now and do remediation, the funds are going to run out in the event that we don't continue to get money from EPA and then EPA doesn't all the money that they give is not um, the amount that would cover all of the remediation for the schools as well as the preschool. So I'm looking at trying to get a fund, a, a, a funding, um, a, um, a ledger item, I guess is the best way to put it, mm-hmm. in the budget so that we can keep this going and it can be an ongoing thing so that we can make sure that we can get all the schools and all the nursery and preschools tested in the state as quickly as possible without um it being additional cost on the schools or on the nursery schools. Representative Jackson, I want to stay on this conversation about water. So you currently have a constituent survey posted on your legislative page, and one of the questions you posted was in reference to the more than 80 coal ash pits that contain chemicals in Indiana, and you serve on the Environmental Affairs Committee. So have you received feedback from constituents regarding your question as to whether Indiana should pass a law to require companies to install liners in their coal ash pits to reduce the contaminants able to reach uh, water supplies? You know what? No, I haven't because actually, I to be honest with you, I received my survey actually in the mail today. Oh, so wow. I would not have gotten uh, feedbacks yet. And if so, it would be a very few okay. because that survey just went out. I want to ask yeah. you about another bill that you authored in the 2023 session, and I'm assuming that it's one that you will present again, and it's House Bill 1136, Mental Health Care for First Responders. Is that one that you will, one of the five that you will present again for the 2024 session? Yes, I will definitely present that bill. And what that bill is basically, it is stating that um, individuals who, firefighters or police officers, who have mental health issues or an issue with mental health, and usually it's that PTSD, that they will be able to receive the necessary uh, medical help that they need without being forced 
or rush to go back to their day-to-day employment. You see, in our state, we've got a lot of firefighters, and a lot of these firefighters are volunteer firefighters. So, therefore, they don't have the insurance, they don't have the um, assistance that a firefighter who is working for a city They don't have that extra layer of protection that those individuals have. So they may have a job, I don't know, working at a, for a social service agency, for instance. And in their spare time, if there's a fire, they serve voluntarily. So in the event, if there's a situation where they're suffering from PTSD, they don't have that extra layer of protection. So they have to figure out using my sick time, is it going to be enough or Am I just going to have to just, you know, go on and go back to work? So this bill would give them the extra coverage that they would need without them having to rush back to work. They can get the necessary treatment and follow-up that they need and not have to be rushing back to work. You see those five, a lot of people don't understand right. that the uh, volunteer firefighters, they save our state millions of dollars a year. And for them not to have that extra layer of protection, I think it's just ridiculous. You're right. And you know what? I'm glad you brought that point up because we do not think about volunteerism in terms of the dollars that save the state. So I'm glad that you made that point that we should all be grateful and thankful for our volunteer firefighters and the amount of money that they do save the state. Absolutely. So I am I I'm hoping to get I'm hoping that I'll be able to get that bill passed this this year because, um, as you know, um, mental health affects so many of our households, it's not funny. Representative Jackson, before I let you go and wrap up our conversation for today ahead of the 2024 legislative session, I cannot let you go without getting your thoughts on the possible end of U.S. Steel as an American-owned, independent, and publicly traded company. Now, you recently released a statement, and I would like to share your thoughts on the deal for U.S. Steel with our listening audience. You know what? I have very mixed feelings, and I guess it's, I have nothing against Nippon, anything, but my concern is the people in the Northwest Indiana, particularly the 1st District. And to hear that U.S. Steel may be purchased by a company that is located thousands of miles away from here in Japan, what are their priorities? We have a lot of environmental issues here in the state that we're dealing with already. We're working very hard to try to get those environmental issues and things cleaned up. And as a result of that, for this new company to come in, are they going to hear the concerns of the people in our region? It has been my understanding from talking to individuals who currently are working for U.S. Steel, that a lot of the issues that they have had and have had those issues for years, U.S. Steel has not listened to them, okay? Mm -hmm. They have repeatedly closed different 10 uh, mills throughout the Midwest. That means a lot of people are losing jobs, okay? A lot of the Mm -hmm. 10 mills, they have uh, uh, put them on idle. That means no jobs, okay? No incomes for families. You know, these are things that concern me. And if the this company still has not had any conversation with any of the unions, which are the backbone of our country, mm-hmm. as to what their intentions are, what are they going to do? That makes me worried. And I can only imagine how worried those individuals are who work for U.S. Steel. They are terrified as to what may happen. And another thing, you know, I've been to Japan, and I know Japan is very innovative with technology and resources. Are they going to bring in a bunch of computers and machinery and things that's going to put a lot of people out of jobs over a period of years? All of those things come into play, and all of those things are concerns from people that work for U.S. Steel, and they are concerned for me. Because I represent a lot of people who work for U.S. Steel. Those answers have not been given. 
Representative Jackson, I want to thank you for joining me today, giving us again a sneak peek at the 2024 legislative session. But I also want to thank you for taking the time to answer my last question regarding the proposed sale of U.S. Steel, because a lot of the stakeholders that I have spoken to over the last few days have addressed what you have addressed as well, the economic impact that that could have on the region. But I thank you for sharing with our listening audience the environmental impact that's something that has not been a large part of the conversations that I am having with representatives here in the region. Absolutely not a problem. Thank you so much. And as always, it is my pleasure to talk to you, Dee, and to talk to the audience and give them my perspective and my plans on what I would like to see happen. Absolutely. I hope that you enjoy the last two weeks of the year and we look forward to watching you at the State House in January through March or late February of 2024. But I hope that you have a lovely holiday. I hope that you get much rest because even though it's a short session, I know that you guys will be busy working at the State House for everybody in the Hoosier State. So have a lovely day. All right. Thank you. And you as well. You're listening to Regionally Speaking on listener-supported Lakeshore Public Media. Continuing our conversation with state legislators, Lakeshore Public Media will be speaking with several Northwest Indiana elected officials to get a preview of the 2024 Indiana General Assembly. The legislative session will convene January the 8th, 2024 in Indianapolis at the State House. The non-budget legislative session will be a short, less controversial one than in years past. Indiana policymakers plan to prioritize education as well as work to improve laws already on the books for the betterment of all Hoosiers. We turn now to State Senator Rodney Pohl, who represents Senate District 4. Senator Pohl, thank you so much for joining us on Regionally Speaking. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Now, Senator Paul, you were elected to fulfill the term of Senator Karen Tallian of Senate District 4 following her retirement in September of 2021. 2024 will mark your third legislative session, but this has been my first opportunity to speak to you as I share with you offline before our conversation. Now, I kind of feel like you should have your sea legs by now and that you're building bridges, you're making connections, and you're representing the region well. So what has your time at the State House been like thus far? Uh, you know, it's, it's, been, it's been wild. It's definitely been kind of a roller coaster ride. You know, there's definitely been some great things that we've been, been able to accomplish uh, there's been some things that we wanted to, you know, try to stop that we weren't able to stop, unfortunately. So, I mean, it's definitely a, you know, a mix of, of both highs and lows. But I, I do think that, you know, overall, it's been an, an amazing experience. I, I mean, it's been the greatest honor that I've ever had in my life to represent Senate District 4, you know, to try and push Indiana into, you know, into the next uh, into the next era of, of really trying to push for great policies that really help everybody, but particularly us in the region. I think we, we often get forgotten about here in, in, uh, in Northwest Indiana. And so to be able to kind of be the voice for Northwest Indiana has just been truly the, the greatest honor that I've ever had. You're here with me today to give a preview of the 2024 legislative session. And so I want to start our conversation regarding that by asking you, what do you believe some of the key issues that will be addressed this upcoming session? I think the biggest issue, the, the biggest positive issue that I think that we're going to be working on is going to be child care and the accessibility of high quality child care. I'm preparing a bill. Senator Charbonneau, you know, I know is, has also filed a bill. I think our bills are are very, very similar. I think I have a couple other things that I've added, but we both served on the interim study committee, public health this past summer. He was the chair and Ed was fantastic in chairing that. He, you know, I think he gets it. I think he understands, you know, why the childcare deserts that we have in Indiana are so detrimental to our communities, obviously for families, you know, not being able to obtain high quality childcare, but to our businesses as well. I think Indiana, we have that moniker that, that we've dubbed ourselves the state that works, but that's not necessarily true if we can't get businesses to locate here, if they can't attract young professionals, because essentially we don't have childcare. These are things that they look for. You know, where are my kids going to go to school? Where are my kids going to go to daycare? And if they look and they say, hey, you know, Indiana's really not that great of a, of a spot for us to move, they're going to go elsewhere. So that's, I think, going to be our, our likely our biggest issue. You know, as far as overall, the 2024 session is by our constitution a, a short session. We got to be out of there by March 14th. But, you know, I'm hearing rumblings that it's going to be even shorter. It is an election year. There are, I think, a number of individuals that are going to want to get out of there as soon as possible. And my hope is that there aren't too many uh, 
super controversial bills, you know, as you know, as we've had in the past. I mean, SB1, some of the very, you know, in the special session with the abortion bill, we've had some very controversial education bills, you know, things that, you know, we end up spending quite a bit of time on. I don't think we're going to end up seeing that as much. So I do think that, but, you know, on the, on the child care issue, I think this is going to be the first year that we hit it. I think we'll probably end up hitting it again during the budget year because, you know, obviously there's, there's going to have to be some support for some of these, uh, these initiatives as well. So. So as you've just shared, the 2024 legislative session is a non-budget session, and it is a short one. Now, you are a member of the Ethics, Judiciary, and Local Government Committee. So I want to go back to the 2023 session for just a moment and talk about what I consider to be an important piece of legislation that you authored. And that is, and I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that it was crafted in part because of a major issue in Lee County, and that's Senate Bill 156 tax sales, and it's now Public Law 26. Now, for a listening audience that may be unfamiliar with the new law, walk us through some of the issues that you and your colleagues at the State House were hearing from constituents here in the region in regards to real estate purchases, as well as what this new law will mean for equity and prospective real estate sales, including for future homeowners, investors, and even developers for that matter. You know, thank you so much for paying attention to that, you know, and I have to give credit both to Senator Dandra Nolk and Senator Rick Niemeyer as well. They they also authored that bill. And, you know, we're, all three of us are from the region. You know, we had a you know, we had a very specific focus on solving some of the issues with our tax sale process. I mean, in general, it's a very free market approach to being able to, to disperse property that has been on tax sale for, for a while. And that's just how our process works. However, we do know that it gets abused pretty frequently. And as somebody who works for the city of Gary, we see how that tax sale, the abuse of the tax sale system can be incredibly detrimental. You can't really grow and do a land assemblage if you have speculators and serial tax delinquents that sit on properties and figure out ways to kind of not have to pay the properties, not have to take care of the properties, and and ultimately stifle actual development. So between Senate Bill 156 and 157, these bills kind of really originated with local leaders, both out of the city of Gary and out of Lake County, as well as help from Indiana University. Indiana University was a huge, huge part of making sure that we had the data to really back up what we were talking about. So when these bills were introduced to the legislature, they could demonstrate, hey, this is this is an issue and this is how we could help solve it by essentially closing some of these loopholes on straw sales and, and tax sales where properties being pretty much moved around to be kept out of the hands of actual development and kept in the hands of speculators who could sit on it so they made enough money that they that they or as much money as that they wanted. So it was really, I think, a great effort, a great team effort. And it was it goes to demonstrate how bipartisanship can really work for us in, in the region because, you know, obviously Senator Niemeyer and Dernalk, they're on the other side of the aisle, but they were very considerate of the issues that were happening in North Lake County. And so I have to give hats off to them because they they really helped carry the water with us on this. I'm really proud of those bills. And really, really glad to see that, that at the county level now, it's getting there to where they're, they're working on the ordinances to pass so we could actually get that stuff enacted. Absolutely. And you know what? I should point out to you, I had an opportunity to speak to several Northwest Indiana elected officials when they returned from the state house at the end of the 2023 legislative session. And I even had the opportunity to speak to Lieutenant Governor Crouch. And I remarked at each of my conversations that there was this this love fest, if you will, for all of our representatives and senators across the state. But there was this recurring theme of bipartisan support of working across the aisle to get the work done for all Hoosiers. And so I did want to note that to you. And it was just something that you have not seen in the last few years, certainly not in D.C. And so it was almost remarkable for me to hear, no matter the party, everyone share their admiration and respect for their colleagues. And so for you to continue this, what, four or five months later, for you to echo those same sentiments, I just wanted to share with you that it was amazing. And I was really and truly amazed at the bipartisan support because everybody put party aside to get the work done for all Hoosiers. I, and I appreciate that. You know, that's it's. I think that's important for Hoosiers to know that you know that their representatives are. You know, that they really are trying to to get good things done. You know, th- don't get us wrong. You know, we don't see eye to eye on everything. But you know, if we can, you know, obviously if we can have those disagreements in a respectful way. At the end of the day, Rick is Rick. Dan is Dan. Ed is Ed. You know, all these guys. I, I, you know, you 
you have to be able to to relate to them and they you know if you want them to understand where you're coming from they got to you got to understand where they're coming from and you got to be able to do so in a respectful manner and it's, it's really great because you know at the end of the day most of the time you end up becoming closer as folks that are in the region that really you know they get it they've they've driven through the same communities we see a lot of the same things so it's easier to talk to them than it is sometimes some of the folks in your own party. So That's true. That is very true. Now, Senator Pohl, I want to come back to bring our conversation back to the upcoming 2024 session. Now, about a week or so ago, I had the opportunity to again speak to Lieutenant Governor Suzanne Crouch about the upcoming session. And in our conversation, she shared that education rises to the top of issues that will be addressed during this session. And there was a recent survey of constituents across the state and when it drilled down to education as a focal point, it concluded a need for more work-based learning and apprenticeships. And now I know you spoke about the need for child care and better child care earlier, but I'm just curious, have you heard concerns voiced by constituents in Indiana Senate District 4 regarding work-based learning, be it education for our high schoolers to go into the trades or anything like that? Oh, absolutely. You know, it's, it's every so often you see the pendulum swing back and forth as far as, you know, everybody's got to go to college and no, 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 you know, college isn't for everybody. I mean, and it's it's a natural process and I think it's right. I think that right now we're, we're starting to see a lot of kids gain success in entering the trades. There's, you know, there's more work than we've ever seen. There's more support for the trades than we've ever seen. And, you know, it's definitely a strike where the iron's hot. These are skills that can employ individuals, kids coming out of school immediately with jobs better than, probably pay better than I get paid, which is right. fantastic. You know, these are skills that they're going to be able to have for their, for their lifetime, you know, so you know, the younger that they're getting in, the, the better, you know, that it's ultimately going to be for them. And that's something that we see quite a bit. There's plenty of times where you see individuals that would love to get in the trades, but they do so, so much later. And maybe they've gotten, they've gone down the wrong path. They've gotten into a, a dead end job or they've gone to school and realized that it wasn't necessarily for them. And now they're stuck with a lot of student debt. So the idea of promoting the the option of that here, this needs to be on the on equal pars and opportunity as everything else. I think it is very important because it ultimately, particularly what we're seeing here is a lot of the times you have kids that are that are going to school that takes them out of the area and then they don't come back. And we have such an issue with brain drain here yeah. that it is you know is problematic. So I mean, there's we we really do need to be bolstering our workforce. You know, we have employers that are looking for for that younger workforce, and I think that you know by being that that link between the two and helping that promotion of that, I think is going to be really helpful to both to our region in particular, but to the state as a whole. All righty. So, Senator Pohl, I know that 2024 is a non-budget year, but are there any fiscal concerns being raised by either chambers or even from constituents? I mean, we we just had the budget forecast that, that came out. I have not seen it, but I've heard some serious concerns for concerns of the Medicaid shortfall and, and there being other concerns out of the budget budget forecast that may lead to potential legislation and, and looking for fixes. I know that there's obviously there's always been pushes for for the, the 13th check for retirees that are, you know, the, the public employees, the retirees. So, I mean, these are issues that we're always going to be pushing for, you know, as it pertains to whether, regardless of whether or not it's a budget year. From my own standpoint, I filed a bill already on, on employment benefits. Obviously, that'll have a fiscal impact. But ultimately, I mean, this is something that we have to be paying attention to. Uh, in our state right now, we actually have the lowest rate of unemployment benefits that are provided to our unemployed Hoosiers that, you know, working families that unfortunately find themselves out of work. You know, we're, we're paying less than Kentucky. We're paying less than Ohio. We're paying less than Michigan. We're paying less than Illinois and, and all of our Midwest counterparts. That, to me, that's unacceptable. I mean, we, we're, we're financially a healthy state. So when our, when our folks find themselves hard on their luck, we need to make sure that they're able to pay their bills, you know, with the, with the benefits that we you know, be providing to them. Now, Senator Poe, you alluded to this earlier, the start of our conversation. So we know that 2024 is a big election year with many offices up for grabs locally across the state, including for governor, lieutenant governor and attorney general, as well as all the way up to the White House. So my question to you is, do you think that the focus at the state house will shift to the primaries and holding the majority rather than pushing through legislation? And the reason that I ask you this is because quite often with elections, Come policy promises versus political action. You know that's a really a really good question. You know, I I definitely think that that there'll be probably some so good legislation that definitely gets filed and and kind of pushed through. But I I would assume that there's probably going to be 
there's not going to be as much of an appetite from the leadership and the majority parties to have you know some of these controversial bills because I do think that that will kind of disrupt and distract from you know the, the elections from their standpoint. That again, this isn't anything that I've heard straight from the horse's mouth. This this is kind of things that I've heard through the grapevine, and and I, and it makes sense. I mean, I, I I don't see why taking on some of the controversial bills that we've taken on over the last couple of years would serve anybody. You know, going into going into an election year, but I mean, ultimately, we've seen sometimes we've seen sometimes the the more extreme or controversial views start to kind of take over the the narrative and and ultimately make it to the to the Senate or the House floor. So I've I've been surprised before, but it would it would definitely surprise me to see that happen this session. Senator Paul, we have just a couple of minutes left, and as we wrap up our conversation for today, ahead of the 2024 legislative session, I cannot let you go without getting your thoughts on the possible end of U.S. Steel as an American-owned, independent, and publicly traded company. Now, you are a member of the Pensions and Labor Committee, and so I'm curious to know if you have concerns for U.S. Steel Workers Union in regards to the collective bargaining agreement. I absolutely do. You know, I I was very disappointed in the sale of U.S. Steel to to Nippon Steel. You know, obviously there's there's a number of things that come to concern. First and foremost was obviously with our workers there. They have negotiated for a very long time, as all of our steel workers have, in order to, to get to where they're at and to have a company that comes in. You know, and I'm hearing the rumblings of, oh, we're going to honor the current contract. Well, the current contract, you know, only goes, I believe, until 2026. And then at that point, it it puts us in a situation where it begs the question, what happens after that? What does the future look like for our steel workers there? And that those are questions that I have yet to hear answers to. You know, and obviously there, there are other concerns about selling one of our largest assets in steel work, steel manufacturers in, in our country. So there are a lot of unanswered questions. It was very unexpected. I mean, obviously we all had heard about the potential of the sale of Cleveland Cliffs. I think that that was anticipated that there was going to be a move that it would be to another U.S. company that you know had really great relationships with our workers. But uh, but yeah, so it, there's there's definitely some unanswered questions, and I think that pretty much everybody that's in an elected position is paying attention to. And if they're not, they better be because that it's going to be something that's going to be impact our region. I think in a way that we haven't seen in a while. So. Now, you know what? I just had a thought because we spoke offline before our recorded conversation. And I just had a thought because you probably also have a different perspective in your role as an attorney for the city of Gary. So are you hearing anything from community members directly in the city of Gary or even officials that are in the city of Gary? Everybody's talking about this. Absolutely. I mean, from folks that are just just paying attention that maybe aren't currently working for the steel mills to, you know, to elected officials that are watching this unfold, both on the standpoint of the workers, the standpoint of, you know, okay, well, now that this is, you know, potentially being sold for $15 billion, what does that mean for the assessment there? You know, this has everybody's full attention, I think, as, as, as this rolls out, because it's going to impact the region in ways that I don't think uh, everybody quite understands just yet. And you know what, Senator Paul, I think that's a great way for us to leave our conversation for today. But I look forward to chatting with you at least midway through the 2024 session just to get an update of how things have gone so far. Anytime. Absolutely. Anytime. I love I love being able to uh, talk to Lakeshore Public Media. You guys are a fantastic organization and, and I really appreciate everything that you guys do for us. Rodney Pohl is the Indiana Senate District 4 representative. And thank you again, once again, for joining us on Regionally Speaking. All right. Thank you, Dee. And that's it for Regionally Speaking for this week and for 2023. Thanks to our guest, State Senator Dan Durnell, Indiana House Representative Carolyn B. Jackson, as well as State Senator Rodney Pohl. And we'll be back with you next week with an all-new show.